Bridge Church. My name is Matt Yoder, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we've been going through a series in 1 Corinthians. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app or whatever you prefer, um, you can open that up. And uh, last week, we were in chapter 2, and we're going to be in chapter 3 this week. But last week, we talked about how effective gospel sharing is not dependent on me, it's not dependent on you, it's dependent on God. And so, here is a great opportunity for you to share the gospel. We've got this thing called date night coming up, um, and that's in a couple weeks, February 16th, on that Friday night, um, and it's 10 bucks, and it's open to anyone, and it'll be really helpful for anyone in their journey. So, if you desire to be married someday, this would be really helpful for you. Um, so don't feel like, oh, I don't have someone or whatever, and I'm not quite there, but I want that someday. This would also be a great place for you. But uh, we welcome you to come on out. We'll have food. We'll have child care. Um, and uh, we'll have Troy Nesbitt and his wife Pam and Jeff Dodge and his wife Teresa. Um, and it'll just be, it'll be a great time of learning and, and sitting together, um, just having a date with with your spouse or your significant other or just with the people at your table. It'll be good. So come on out for that. But great opportunity to share the gospel because it will be shared there. So if you want to invite your friends, do it. You know, ha- about half the people who have registered already, um, I don't know their names. Okay? And now, I don't know any, everyone's name in this room, uh, admittedly, but I usually recognize their names. So people are already registering that potentially don't know Christ. So people are interested. People know that there's something about my marriage that could use some work or about my relationship that could use some work. So invite people out for that great opportunity to live out chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. But today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is all about how effective gospel growth or church growth is dependent on God and not us. So let's start. In 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1, and he's going to address the problem going on. There's a problem, and the problem is division. So chapter 3, verse 1, But I, brothers, Paul's talking, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, so these first four verses, we learn about the problem going on. The problem is division. It says in verse 3, there's jealousy and strife going on in this church. And so, essentially, we learn in chapter 4 that the problem is Christian celebrity syndrome. So, if you're here on our first week of 1 Corinthians, I talked about this a bit. Basically, man worship, okay? They were making Paul or Apollos or other leaders God when they weren't God. They were, they were saying, oh, this is Paul's church. This is Apollos' church. This is whoever's church. And, and Paul's like, no, you missed it. It's God's church. They forgot that the church is God's. So, he says to stop acting like kids, like babies. Stop acting like new believers or unbelievers. Right? He says, 
you know, it, it was right for me to feed you milk right away, but, but it's been a while since I was with you and planted this church. So why are you still acting like immature babies? Okay, and the key word in verse uh, 3 is behaving. At least the key word in the English. You're behaving only in a human way. So it's not that they lost their salvation. It's not that they lost the Holy Spirit. That's not it at all. He's just saying you guys are behaving like you don't have the Holy Spirit, God, inside of you. And that's a problem. It doesn't fit with your new identity. Okay? You have Jesus Christ. You've believed in Him. You have the Holy Spirit and you're acting like you don't. You're making much of this person and that person. It's causing division. And that's not how it's supposed to be. It's almost like he's mocking them in this passage. Like, really? Little baby wonder bottle? I mean, I could almost hear him saying that. That's kind of the tone going on here with them. He's like, wake up, Corinthians. Wake up. God started this church. And God's going to grow this church. And God is going to grow you as a church and individually. Not Paul, not Apollos. I'll use them to help in that process. But God is the head of this church. And there's division here, mainly because they don't understand how the church is supposed to function. And they don't understand how leaders were meant to function either. They were making too much of these leaders. And so Paul, in the rest of this chapter, describes the proper function of the church and the proper function of leaders within the church. And he does it with three word pictures. So... I'm a really visual person, and this is going to look really kiddy because it kind of is, but I'm cool with that. Um, but I'm going to show you a pic. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to show you what this word picture looks like because if it's a word picture, let's just, let's just show it, you know? Why, if, okay, but not yet. Too soon. Too soon. We're going to read it first. So uh, there's a little preview. Just get you excited, okay, for those of you who are kids on the inside like me all right first picture church is god's field five through nine what then is apollos what is paul servants through whom you believed as the lord assigned to each i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only god who gives the growth he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. All right, you throw it up there. So this is to the church. This is written to the church. And he says, here's the roles. The church is the field. Okay? So the church is the field. Um, the leaders, here's our leaders here. They're just like hired hands. It says they're servants. All right? They're not the point of this whole thing. They're not the point of the church. You guys are making the leaders in Corinth the point and making too much about them, making, making more of them than you should, but they're not, they're not the point. They're just servants. And then it describes them in verse 9 as God's fellow workers. And you might be like, wait, you said they were hired hands. How are they fellow workers at the same time? Well, the focus is still on God, right? But He does His work through the leaders, so they're more than just showing up to get a paycheck, you know? You know, you ever had a job where you just show up there to get a paycheck? Maybe you have that right now, okay? Um, that's, not, that's not these guys. That's not the leaders of the church, or it's not what they're supposed to be anyways. They're supposed to be there 
bought in and yes, I want to see this field grow. I want to see the church grow. I want to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about when he says they're God's fellow workers. But God is still the point there. And God's role is that he owns the farm. So we got God farms here. And there's God. He's the farmer. Okay? He causes growth of any kind to happen. We see that, you know. Paul planted, Apollos watered. God gives the growth. So Paul's the farmer. He owns the whole farm. But he also... Um, I didn't know how to do this pictorially, but he also has this like superpower to control the weather, right? Because anyone who's who knows anything about farming, and I know we have some farmers here, you guys can't control that weather, and you can't control your crop, right? You know that, but God can. And so um, I could go for the hat trick and try to do three weeks in a row here where we make a superhero reference, but I'm not going to stoop to that level, okay? <coughs> Uh, storm. Um, anyway, um, the Corinthians here, uh, he's saying to them, you know what, you're, you're not growing because you guys got it backwards. This isn't Apollos' field. Okay? He, by the way, Apollos, great church leader for them. Really was helping them grow. So he was a good leader, but it's just saying, he's just a faithful servant. This is God's field. God is causing the growth. All right. So there's the first word picture. The church is God's field. The second picture, which we'll read about, and then we'll throw it up, is that the church is God's building. So let's start in verse 9 again. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. All right, here's our picture. Church is God's building. And Paul, or the church planter, the guy who started the church, just laid the foundation of the building. And the foundation of the building is the gospel. Okay? Christ and him crucified. We see that in verse 2 and in verse 1. That's the message that Paul brought. That's the gospel. Today we had baptisms. We had Max and Sam here saying, you know what? I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, and I want to declare it to the world. What a great picture for us today of what Paul was doing. That's what Paul brought. The life-changing message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the foundation of anyone's faith. That's the foundation of, of, should be the foundation of any church that started. And that was the foundation of the church in Corinth. Paul brought the gospel. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. I shared this last week. He says very clearly, here's what the gospel is. That Jesus 
died, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. He makes it very clear. And God is the building inspector in this analogy. And he's also the owner of the building. But he's going to see if the work of the builders or the church leaders is up to code. So now you've got the builders, and Apollos would have been one of these for the Corinthians. But you had church leaders, and they're building the walls. And they were building upon the gospel, or at least they were supposed to be building upon the gospel. So was their teaching, was their guidance of the people, was their leadership in accordance with the gospel? Were they helping people become more like Jesus? Because they were called to teach and to guide with a gospel focus and gospel compatibility. So imagine for a second that this foundation is Legos, okay? Everyone loves Legos, right? Um, and, and if you don't, um, well, I'm sorry. That's just sad. It's sad to me. I don't, but let's just say the foundation is Legos and uh, you've got these guys, these church leaders, and they're building upon the gospel. And let's say that they built with Duplos. Okay? Now, Duplos are bigger versions of Legos. And you could do it. Okay? My, what's hilarious is I came up with this illustration. And I went home, and my son was actually doing this. And I'm like, whoa, this is weird. Um, but I almost took a picture. Just like, whoa. But uh, anyway, if they're building with Duplos... It'll, it'll stack for a little bit, and you might be able to, it might look good for a bit, but as soon as that building moves, or whatever he's building, and he was building a car the other day, as soon as he moved that car, all the Duplos fell over, right? And so, Paul's saying here that those who are called to lead the church better make sure that what they're teaching and the way that they're leading is compatible with the gospel. That they're teaching Jesus Christ, Him crucified. Not any other message. There's only one way to Jesus. They're teaching the Bible. Not their, their good thoughts that they had on how to do life right. But no, they're teaching the Bible. And he's saying if they are teaching something that's not compatible with the gospel, like the Duplos, there's going to be judgment by God when Jesus comes back. It's the day. When the day, that's the day that Jesus comes back. So notice too that it's the leader's work that's going to get burned up if it's not compatible with the gospel and it's not the leader himself. Okay? But what's this judgment? What's that judgment look like? So it says, but he'll be saved only through fire. So in heaven, but he's being judged. I don't get that. Here's what it's like. It would be like you spending your whole life on something. And then in a moment, all of that was just gone. Your whole life's work, just gone, meaningless. You spent your life on nothing. That's what it would be like. You believe in Jesus. You got to heaven. You're a church leader. So let's just, you know, let's just say you're a church leader and you get there and you're pouring into people, but you're just feeding them junk. You're not leading them with love and gentleness and grace and truth. And so you get there and it's just, that's just gone. A lot of your, 
life is wasted. And we could sit here and tell story after story throughout church history of screwed up church leaders, right? I mean, I had three people in my life who were church leaders before I graduated college who will stand there on the day and have all of their work just just consumed by fire, just gone because it was worthless. And I want to say to you, listen very closely. If you've been hurt by a church leader, I'm so sorry. As a church leader myself, I am so sorry. That shouldn't have happened, whatever happened. And I pray to God that it doesn't again. And it, but it, here's the thing. Here's what this scripture says. This, that will not go without consequence. Right? And that is great news. The justice of God is great news for those of us who have been hurt. And so praise God. The church is God's building. It's not the leader's building. It is not Matt's church. It is not anyone else who leads here. Elders. Joey's, no, it is God's church. And that is great news. So even as leaders fail, take heart. Take heart because the church is God's building. And it is not going to crumble. Now, if the teacher does do a great job, you can throw that graphic back up there. If the teacher is doing a great job bringing truth and guidance and teaching that's in that's conforming with the gospel it says they're going to get a reward okay and we're unsure what that means but it should motivate us right because god is saying i'm going to give you a reward this means the possibilities are limitless right you're going to get a reward that you cannot fathom that's really motivating to me and for anyone else who is leading other people which, which is probably most of us in this room, is leading other people, doing ministry, serving, loving others. Be motivated by that. There is going to be a reward, and that's a great thing. That's encouraging. That's exciting. Okay. The last analogy we see, or word picture, is that the church is God's temple. So we have the church is God's field, the church is God's building, and this this is kind of... Um, builds on top of the building analogy, the church is God's temple. Verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So this is written to everyone. People in the church, church leaders, all of them. And here's the roles. The roles are that the church... It's supposed to be God's temple. So the building. They're the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, the temple was a physical place for God's presence. And yes, God is omnipresent, which means He is present everywhere. But there's a special type of God's presence where it is felt and known that God is there. And so that's, that's what would happen in the Holy of Holies, in this inner place where no one could go except the high priest once a year. That's where God's special presence was. But now, 
Here's what Paul is saying. Because Jesus died on the cross, you are God's temple. You don't have to go. You don't have to be a priest who gets to go in there once a year, afraid for his life. No, you are God's temple. And when the word you hear doesn't mean you personally, we take that personally because um, we are in a very individualistic society, but it should probably be translated y'all. Okay, and I say that a lot and I'm not from the south. I grew up in Iowa. I I could say that when I was in Minnesota, when I would say it like, yeah, I grew up in the south, south of here. Um, But this is saying y'all, all the church, you, everybody, the church, the family of God is God's temple. So now that means spiritually God's active presence is in his family, in the church. So our church, Stonebridge Church, any church is not a physical building. But what it is saying is there's something special that happens when the family gets together and is teaching things and functioning in a way that's in accordance with the gospel. And so when you come to a church gathering, come expecting God to move. Come expecting God to show up in an incredible way. Because he says that's what happens. We are God's temple. That's exciting. God is here. And that that isn't like a feeling necessarily, although sometimes it can be, right? But it's just a reality. And God here is the object of worship. So for most of these Corinthians, they actually didn't grow up reading the Old Testament. They weren't, they weren't Jews. Um, they grew up as pagans worshiping other gods. So they went to other temples. And in verse seven, 17, um, it says, Paul says, basically, you know what? Your celebrity worship is destroying this church. So quit living like you did when you went to the temple and worshipped this Greek God or whatever it was. Quit acting that way. Paul is not God. Apollos is not God. When you come to worship, you're there to worship Jesus. He's saying, stop it. Live unified, worshiping God, not other people. And so I have a couple thoughts for Stonebridge Church. And if this doesn't fuel connection group discussion, I'm not sure what will. Two main things. Church isn't about you and your comfort. Church is not about you and your comfort. In fact, If you're doing church right, it should make you uncomfortable sometimes. I've never been convicted of sin without feeling uncomfortable. I've never been able to walk in loving community with with brothers and sisters in Christ without feeling a little uncomfortable sometimes, and that's a great thing. We probably don't understand the struggle they were having as much of tribalism around a church leader, although we do see some of that in our culture, and maybe, maybe you do struggle with that. Um, but what I see more is individualism, acting like 
church is mine. I do church on my terms. I'll just have church by myself in my tree stand. That's not church. Church means, the word church in the Bible means the gathered ones. You're not gathered. Okay? That's a good thing if you want to worship Jesus in the tree stand. Fantastic. Hallelujah. That's awesome. You're supposed to worship him anywhere and everywhere, right? But that isn't church. You don't do church on your own terms. I decide what's best for me. So I, I am totally fine coming to church, slipping in and out unnoticed. That's, that's cool. That's fine. Now, if you're, if you're here and you're brand new and you're, you don't know Jesus or you're just checking it out, that's cool. I'm fine with that. But I'm just saying, if, you, if you've been here for a while and you're doing that, that's not church. And that's not what God's calling to you to do. You actually flourish best. When you get to know people in community. It's for our good. Maybe you say, you know what? I listen to God, not church leaders. Well, anyone in here who is a parent knows that authority is actually a great thing. Loving, benevolent authority is a great thing, right? It would be, it would be horrible of me to not tell my son to, to, to get his hand away from the hot stove, Right? Authority is great. Anyone who's a parent knows that, right? And so God has actually put church leaders in place to help us grow. And so while I am not perfect, I'm a sinful man, God has put me in this position, and Joey in this position, our elders in the position to help you grow, your connection group leaders to grow, to learn more about Jesus. And so to say, you know what? I only listen to God and not my church leaders is really arrogant. And isn't submitting to God's authority that's designed for your good. Maybe you say, you know what? My preferences are more important than committing to church. So I'll just do a la carte church. I'll do a connection group or small groups at this church and um, I'll get my message over here and I'll get a youth ministry over there and the children's ministry over here. Um, you know what you just did? You made church all about you and your needs. And you made it more impossible for you to actually be a part of a family and get to know each other really well. And so, yeah, this youth ministry might be might have something better going on than what we have going on in our church. But I'm saying, if you're here, or wherever you land, right? If you're a part of a church, be a part of the church. Church online is an oxymoron. I listen, I listen to podcasts of, of sermons, and I've watched churches online. That's helpful. For believers, and that is a good thing. But but here's what here's what I'm saying. Here's what we see in here in this scripture is that you know what? Church has to be done together. Me and a screen is not church. And that's gonna get harder and harder to push against as our culture advances in technology a lot of great things about technology but a lot of things that really hurt us maybe you're in here and you're like you know what i was hurt by the church so i'm gonna run maybe you're on the run right now by others in the church by pastors by leaders 
I want to ask you this morning, have you given any opportunity for restoration to happen in those relationships? If you're on the run, have you gone to that person that you have something against or they have something against you and tried to get right with them? Because if you haven't, that's not the gospel, right? What did Jesus do? What did God do? He sent Jesus to restore right relationship with mankind by dying on a cross. And so when we say, you know what? I have a difference with you. I'm hurt. I'm going to run. We're saying that's, that's what God is like. And He's not like that at all. You don't want a God like that. And you know that not to be true. The gospel is that God ran towards us even though we didn't deserve it. To seek restoration. And so if you have a problem with someone, a pastor, a leader from someone else at another church, go get right with them. I'm not saying get out of our church. You're certainly welcome here. Stay here. That's great. But get right relationally with people. That's that's what we're called to with the gospel. So church isn't about you and your comfort. Second thing, this whole passage and the whole book of 1 Corinthians assumes that the local church is absolutely necessary for believers. Hear that well. Believe that with all your heart because our culture, our Christian culture, doesn't believe that by and large. Did you hear what I said? This 1 Corinthians and the whole Bible actually assumes the absolute necessity of a local church for believers. He's writing to a local church in Corinth. Church leaders are vital. They're a vital, regular part of growth. So, as church members, you have to let church leaders into your life, right? And invite them into your life. And as leaders, we need to be intentional at caring for and loving the people who are under us. And if the local church is that important, that assumes that there's going to be a tight family community going on. And this can only come with regular contact. You can't display God together if you're rarely together. You can't do it. We can't display God to a hurting and broken and messed up world if we're not unified and know each other well and display God's love and restoration. And there'll be messy parts, right? We'll, we'll, we'll rub against each other and we'll have to work through that. But, but man, if we're not working through that, what are we saying to the world? We're saying, you know what? Jesus really can't help you out with your relational problems at all. But... Make church a priority. Make the church gathering a priority. Thank you for being here this morning. You're doing that. Continue that. Make it a priority. It should be the exception, not the rule that you miss. Not out of some legalistic checkbox to say I went to church. It's not that it, it's not that at all. It's that a family can't function if you're not around. You can't get to know people if you're not there. Just common sense. Make connection group a priority if you're part of one. It should be the exception, not the rule that you're gone. And I understand life happens. Things come up. That's that's fine. That's cool, you know? But there shouldn't be groups that have 14 people on the roster and only seven show up every week, and it's a different seven every week. 
I can't do community if, that, that way. I can't get to know people that way. I don't know how you could either. Local church is absolutely necessary for a believer's life. So, in conclusion, church, here's what you need to hear. The church is God's, it's not yours. So you need to willingly follow God's leadership in your life. God's leadership, not yours, God's. And you need to willingly follow the church leadership God has set in place. Not a blind following and trust. I know, I know certain, um, certain denominations or whatever have made way too much of people. And that's not, that's not what I'm proposing. Test everything with the word. Ask questions, absolutely. But are you willingly, eagerly, joyfully following Leadership, like it says to in Hebrews 13. And then for church leaders, here's what you need to hear. You need to hear the same thing except louder. The church is God's, not yours. Matt, the church is God's, not yours. So you need to lead humbly. You need to lead dependently because you're just servants. You're just hired hands. God's opinion on how to build a church is all that matters. If you're a leader here, you should feel some weight. You should leave feeling pretty pretty convicted and heavy today because you have a weighty responsibility and God will hold you accountable. Stonebridge Church is God's church. Not mine, not yours. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the blessing it is that...